Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Unknown Friends podcast. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and this is my bi-weekly podcast where I discuss literature from a Christian perspective. And more specifically, this year in Season 3, we are exploring trilogies exclusively. So far, I have discussed two of the eight trilogies I have planned for the season, so we are already a quarter of the way through the year. And I am eager to share with you the third trilogy of the season, Pearl S. Buck's House of Earth trilogy. So we started the year with Kristen Lavren's Daughter by Norwegian author Sigrid Unset, and then we looked at the 100 Cupboards trilogy by contemporary American author N.D. Wilson, and now with the House of Earth trilogy, we will be going back in time again and experiencing history and a foreign culture, a little bit like we did with Kristen Lavern's daughter. Today I want to start by taking some time to introduce you to our new author, because Pearl Buck is worth discussing in depth, even without reference to her books. She lived a remarkable life. And before we get caught up in her House of Earth series, we really should consider this woman's personality and experience and beliefs, which, of course, all get transcribed in one way or another in her books. She was born Pearl Comfort Seidenstricker in 1892 in West Virginia to her parents Absalom and Carrie, who were Presbyterian missionaries to China, but were on home leave for a short time. Pearl was the middle child of seven siblings, although only three, including her, ended up surviving to adulthood. When Pearl was just a few months old, the family moved back to China, and they lived there until their next brief furlough, which didn't come until Pearl was nine. So she spent all of her childhood in eastern China, in a port city on the Yangtze River, west of Shanghai. She was bilingual, as you would expect, learning both English and Mandarin from the very beginning of her life. Her mother, a Chinese tutor and a Chinese governess, mostly educated her, and in her free time she read books ravenously, especially Charles Dickens, who was her favorite author. She read all of his novels over and over again. When she was seven, the Boxer Rebellion developed in China, and civil unrest and violence became more and more prevalent over time, and Pearl's family was in danger, especially with them being foreigners and missionaries. So her father Absalom sent his wife and children to Shanghai as refugees, while he stayed at his mission post, and he suffered for it. He was harassed and even stoned, but he survived and kept preaching the gospel. But finally, in 1901, just after Pearl had turned nine, and when the Boxer Rebellion was pretty thoroughly over, the family decided it was time to take an extended home leave, and they returned to America for the first time in Pearl's experience. 
So they spent the next year back home in West Virginia, where Pearl's mother's family lived. And this was rather a culture shock for Pearl, who had, of course, known American culture in her home with her own parents, but had only ever known Chinese culture outside of that. At any rate, the family returned to China in 1902 and stayed there again for the next several years. At this point, though, the family felt more than ever before that they were outsiders and were held in suspicion. Despite the conclusion of the Boxer Uprising, China was still simmering with discord and discontent, and many more rebellions would develop in the next several decades, and the Chinese government would change drastically. Just a few years later, in 1911, another revolution would put an end to imperial rule in China, which had lasted for literally thousands of years. This was a huge change. The rebels tried to institute a republic in China at that point, but they could not agree on how the government should be run, and turmoil continued for years and years, leading to the communist revolution in the 20s and then Chinese civil war in the 40s. But before all that happened, when Pearl was a teenager, she was sent to a boarding school in Shanghai for a couple years, and then in 1910, she traveled back to the U.S. for college. She attended Randolph-Macon Women's College in Lynchburg, Virginia, and studied philosophy there. Shortly after she graduated, although she had not planned to, she returned to China because she learned that her mother Carrie was very ill, and she wanted to help look after her. And then, as it turns out, she stayed in China after all for several more years, because she met and married John Lossing Buck, who was an agricultural economist and a fellow Presbyterian missionary in China. He had not grown up there, as Pearl had, but he had moved there after graduating from Cornell University, and he was now working in the country as an agricultural missionary. So they married in 1917 and moved to a more rural community than the one Pearl had grown up in, to a small town in North China. And this area is where she gathered a lot of inspiration for books like her House of Earth trilogy, which is set in an agricultural community. But Pearl and her husband only lived there for a few years. In 1920, they moved to the city of Nanking, where they both taught at the University of Nanking, Pearl teaching English literature. Then in 1921, she had a daughter whom she named Carol, but it was a difficult labor, and the doctors also discovered a tumor that meant Pearl had to have a hysterectomy after the delivery. And this was a huge disappointment to her, as she had always wanted a big family. And although years later she was able to adopt, for the time being, she really struggled with only being able to have one biological child. And on top of that, she soon discovered that her daughter Carol had a pretty serious mental disability, 
PKU syndrome. Severe enough that when the girl was nine, Pearl and her husband felt like their only option was to enroll her in a special school and living facility in New Jersey. In the meantime, though, while Carol was still very young and still living with them, Pearl's father, Absalom, also moved in with the Bucks in 1921 after Carrie's death. And then in 1925, they adopted a baby girl from America and named her Janice. But then in 1927, the political upheaval in China came very close to home when war reached Nanking, the city where the Bucks lived and taught. And they had to hide, and then they fled to Japan for almost a whole year. Now, afterward, they were able to return to China and keep working there for a few more years, but lots of things were happening at this point that made a more drastic change in Pearl's life more or less inevitable. Not only was China still in turmoil, but Pearl was struggling to care for her disabled daughter, and her marriage also was becoming less and less viable. At the same time, she was turning her thoughts and her energies to writing. Throughout the 1920s, she was writing short stories, and she also began working on a novel and trying to get it published. Of course, she enjoyed writing, and she needed to write for financial reasons, and she also wanted to share stories that told the truth about the culture she had always lived in but a culture it seemed very few outsiders really understood. So her first novel was called East Wind, West Wind, and it was finally published in 1930. And from there, her career took off rapidly. The House of Earth trilogy were her next three books and have remained her best-known works, especially book one, which is called The Good Earth. But she wrote dozens more novels over the course of her life, and scores and scores of short stories, along with plenty of nonfiction, biographies and autobiographies. And at the same time as her literary career was getting underway, she made a few really big decisions. She put her daughter Carol in the institution in New Jersey in 1929, And then five years later, Pearl herself decided to move to the United States with her daughter Janice, while her husband stayed behind in China to continue his work. And shortly afterward, in 1935, she and John Lossing Buck got a divorce, and the very same day, Pearl married her publisher, Richard Walsh. They moved to the farmhouse that Pearl had bought in America, in Pennsylvania, and that's where she lived for most of the rest of her life. She wrote, and she also energetically worked on behalf of various humanitarian causes. She devoted herself to improving the American perception of the Chinese people, and spoke out on a variety of issues, immigration, poverty, adoption, mental illness, women's rights, civil rights. 
She vehemently opposed the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. And she also founded an adoption agency called Welcome House, which focused on interracial adoption. She herself adopted six children with her second husband, Richard, so she ultimately had eight children in total. Eventually, though, Richard died in 1960 after a stroke, and Pearl lived to the age of 80, passing away in 1973 from lung cancer. But clearly, she had left quite a legacy behind her. Of course, she authored scores of books, but it really was her second novel, The Good Earth, that made the most profound impact in its day and has remained her most enduring work. It was published in 1931, and in America, it was the best-selling novel in the years 1931 and 32. Some playwrights tried to adapt the book for the stage shortly after its publication, but that did not go very well. However, the story was then adapted as a film, which earned a better public response. More significantly, the book won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1932 and helped Pearl S. Buck win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1938. Ten years before that, of course, Sigrid Unset had won the Nobel Prize for Literature, and the Pulitzer Prize also puts Pearl Buck in very good company. In fact, we have previously discussed several Pulitzer-winning novels on the podcast. Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea is one, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson is another, as well as Anthony Doerr's World War II novel All the Light We Cannot See, along with many other famous titles I know you would recognize. The Grapes of Wrath, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, and others. So The Good Earth was a novel both popular with the American public and also praised by critics. And it's not very easy to accomplish both of those things. Now, of course, The Good Earth is the first book in a trilogy, but the other two books never achieved quite the same fame that the first book did. The three books are not quite as closely connected to each other as the books in the first two trilogies we've reviewed this year, while Kristen Lavren's Daughter and The 100 Cupboards each told one complete story just split into three sections, the House of Earth trilogy is a bit more like three separate stories, though they are connected in that each book follows the lives of a new generation of one certain Chinese family. So, book one, The Good Earth, tells about the life of a poor farmer named Wang Lung. And then book two, called Sons, follows the lives of Wang Lung's three sons, unsurprisingly. And book three, titled A House Divided, is largely about Wang Lung's grandson. So, I mean, they are connected. It's not like the three books are completely unrelated stories. But theoretically, you can stop reading after book one and not bother with books two and three if you're not interested. 
Personally, I would still find that unsatisfying, but a lot of people only read The Good Earth. So then, in brief, what is the storyline of The Good Earth, the first book in Pearl Buck's trilogy? Wang Lung, our hero, is a peasant in rural China in the very early 1900s. We're never given an exact date, but we can deduce something close from some clues in the story. The book's first chapter opens on Wang Lung's wedding day. Although a poor Chinese farmer's wedding day looks nothing like what you or I would picture from those words. Wang Lung lives in a little earthen hut on his land with his aging father, and his father has arranged for him to marry a slave woman from the nearby town, from the household of the one very wealthy lord in town. Wang Lung has never met this woman, but he is very excited that she's going to come and live with them because then he will be relieved of some of his daily duties, lighting the fire and making tea and mending clothes and cooking meals. He has plenty of his own work to do in his fields and looks forward to having a wife to take care of the house and of him and his father. And so he makes everything ready, goes to the town, gets the woman, marries her, and brings her home. And that's that. That is the first chapter. Olan is the woman's name, and she's not remarkably beautiful, but she is remarkably hardworking and patient and quiet, and Wang Lung is very satisfied with her as his wife. Soon they have a couple of sons and a daughter and... For a few years, Wang Lung's fields do very well, and he's able to buy a little extra land, even, which makes him feel confident and secure. But then, a terrible, terrible drought hits one year. And soon, his family and all the people for miles around are hard-pressed to even survive. Some don't survive. And eventually, in near despair, Wang Lung decides to take his family south to the big city, where they hope to be able to find a better place to live for the time being. And it works. They survive through the drought, but it is a hard life they find in the city, and they long to return to their home. In time, the family's fortunes do take a turn for the better, and Wang Lung is able to bring his father and wife and children back to his farm and restart their life there. And in fact, Wang Lung becomes more and more successful and even rich years later. But success, he eventually learns, brings its own challenges that he had never suspected when he was poor, and so the novel continues by tracing the changes in Wang Lung's life and his family as their good fortune transforms each of them in different ways. Idleness, entitlement, selfishness, cruelty, the family wrestles with each of these, and Wang Lung's preeminent wish that there might be peace in his house is repeatedly thwarted, by his own choices, and also the choices of his family members. So that 
is generally how the book progresses. And so as you can probably see, since the book ends with Wang Lung at the end of his life, close to death, you can stop reading at that point if Wang Lung's life is all you're interested in. But personally, I think book one leaves you with lots of unanswered questions, and so it's worth continuing to books two and three if you're curious about Wang Lung's descendants and how his choices shape his sons and theirs, their sons. So one or two big picture comments about the trilogy as a whole and then we will have to wrap up this episode. I will, of course, be exploring the themes of these books in the next two episodes, so rest assured that is coming, but I first wanted to give this background information about Pearl Buck and some quick overarching thoughts about the trilogy as a whole in order to set up our subsequent discussions. So, concerning the entire House of Earth trilogy, and I suppose in some ways all of Buck's writings. She made a significant contribution to English literature, not just with the excellence of her storytelling and writing style, but also with her unique presentation of Asian cultures. The East had typically been mysticized or mocked or at the least misunderstood in English literature prior to Pearl S. Buck. She was an American and yet also a kind of native in Chinese culture. And because of this, she was able to write about Chinese people in a way that no other American writer had been able to do before her. She wrote about China realistically and sympathetically, and helped really the whole world start to understand Oriental life a bit more accurately. And she wrote about China not only realistically, but relatably. She was writing these books during the Great Depression in the U.S., and so poverty, for instance, was something that Americans could very easily relate to. And the hardships of Wang Lung the peasant were pretty understandable to the U.S. people. So Pearl Buck was actually able to forge a kind of connection between Chinese and American cultures, which had been so disconnected before. And even today, although her novels are now 70 years old and cultures have changed, we still get from her books a glimpse of the history of the Chinese society that exists today, so her stories still help us understand Asian culture. And understanding is really important. Understanding something is different from agreeing with it, of course, and I certainly disagree with a great deal that I read in the House of Earth trilogy, but understanding is necessary before meaningful engagement is possible. So I'm really grateful for the insight into Chinese life that Pearl Buck offers in her books. And of course, her insights are more universal than that. One can emphasize too much that her books are about 
Chinese life, when more fundamentally they are about human life. And we can learn lots of things about ourselves and even our own culture from reading her stories. But more on that in the next two episodes. I need to bring this to a close for today, but I am so excited to dive much more deeply next time into Pearl Buck's controversial worldview and the content of this trilogy. Overall, I will just say that I would only recommend The House of Earth for readers in high school or older, And honestly, I'm not sure how much high schoolers would get out of the books. It's not what I would call inappropriate for high school reading, but there are certainly adult topics covered in the books. Discreetly, but still very present. Um, War and severe famine, opium abuse, concubines and prostitutes, just... A lot of subject matter that is not for young readers, even though Pearl Buck typically handles these topics in a pretty careful, understated way. But honestly, uh, the storyline and themes are such that I think your typical teen would be thoroughly bored reading these books and just wouldn't find much in the characters to relate to. In my view, the stories will only really be understood by a reader with at least a little maturity and life experience. It really surprised me when I discovered that the good earth was, and still is, in some schools, assigned reading in 8th grade. That just seems very premature to me. College reading, sure. Late high school, maybe. But junior high? I don't think so. I can't see the good Earth doing middle schoolers any good, personally. But who am I to say? That is, that's just my opinion. At any rate, if you are an adult or older teen, you may well find the House of Earth interesting, as I have, and I look forward to exploring its characters and themes much more in our next two episodes. So thank you so much for listening today to this introduction to Pearl S. Buck and her trilogy. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you are subscribed to the Unknown Friends podcast and come back in two weeks for the next installment in our discussion of the House of Earth. If you have comments or questions about this trilogy or recommendations for other books I should review on the podcast, always feel free to message me on Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon. I would love to hear from you. As always, I am Rochelle Ferguson, your host from Kitty Wayne Productions, and I am so grateful you tuned in for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.